So the Dutch have a word, it's brompot. And that word is used to describe lots of Dutch activities. But it basically means complaining pot or growling pot. Not the kind that you smoke, you know, the other kind, <laughs> the kind that you cook it. And uh, that's just been kind of a Dutch expression. She sent in Grote Bromhot or something like that. But it, it describes the nature of someone who has a very pessimistic outlook on life and decides to express that outlook. Now, I can identify with that. It's probably the Dutch genes where, you know, I tend to be an angry pessimist. It's natural for me to be like this guy, a grumpy old man at times, you know, because I, I can get that way. I don't want to be that way, but it kind of sneaks up on me from time to time. You know, I'd rather be like my old buddy here, Rick Warren, who is, I think, one of the best examples of a grateful optimist. You know, this guy's been through the mill. His son suffered from depression his whole life and ended up committing suicide. His wife's had cancer. He recently has been kicked out of his denomination that he's been in for 45 years. He was a Southern Baptist pastor. He, and he has this huge church in California they're no longer Southern Baptists because he committed a grievous sin. He allowed women to be ordained. And Southern Baptists, that is a no-no. So he has women on his staff there, and he was asked to leave. But he's still an optimist. He's still doing all these good things. He's semi-retired now. He still writes all these devotionals and doing well. Now, I struggle with the opposite all the time because my nature is to be kind of pessimistic. And I struggle that to this day. Sometimes I just feel like the entire universe is against me. You know, in, in preparing this meet for today, I had to make at least 10 trips back and forth because I kept forgetting things and whatnot. And, you know, little things like that. And I've had to fight this incipient pessimism my entire life. You know, I think back to the days when Laketon Bethel was just growing the leaps and bounds. We had all these new houses coming up around here, and we packed the church out. We went to two services. That was the beginning of this second service. We used to just have one service at 9.30, and we switched to two, and some folks just didn't like that because some people from the early service went to the new service, and they started wanting to, you know, tell me how to run things, and I said, well, here's the deal. You hired me for one service. I'm doing the second service as a volunteer. So, you know, I'm going to have some influence on it. But was, those were good times. But still, I had this, this pessimism inside of me all the time. And, you know, we, things went well. We, we put up this building because we really needed it. And then as soon as we put it up, the Great Recession hit. Houses, nobody was building houses around here anymore. And our income went down by 40%. And it looked really tough. But we survived it. Our growth kind of leveled off to just like 1% 2% increases per year. But we survived it. And then COVID came along. And with COVID came financial issues too. It's pretty much, though it doesn't look like it today, but COVID 
cut our attendance in half. And so one Sunday afternoon, a few weeks ago, I was in a particularly bad mood. I was being a brompot. And I was complaining to God about that. I said, you know, what do you want me to do? So then I practiced what I quite often do. It's a very pious practice. It's called horizontal meditation, where I take a nap, you know. And I think that God tries to talk to me when I'm sleeping. Now, I don't know for sure, and he definitely bypasses sound waves and gets right into my head. But this is the message that I woke up with about 4.30 that afternoon. It's like God was talking to me, and I don't know if he really was. I think he was. He said, I never told you to build a big church. I called you to be my representative to all the people that I send your way. And you've blown it, bud. <laughs> so, you know, get to work on that. But that's what I'm called to do. It's like I got schooled for my pessimism. I don't know if any of you can identify with this. You know, sometimes it feels like we're so busy harvesting trees, but we're in the wrong forest. And that seems to happen with so many of us. So many things you want in life just don't work out. They just don't materialize. Your kids don't turn out the way you want them to be. Or you've never found enough, uh, a way to make enough money. You're disappointed in yourself. You're disappointed in your marriage. You're disappointed in your level of success. You're disappointed in the people that are around you, as friends and co-workers and family. And if you're honest, you're actually disappointed in God because you feel like he's given you the short end of the stick because you're not achieving the American dream as you thought you should, as you felt entitled to. Well, today I'm going to invite you to a change in perspective on that perhaps some ways to heal the fractured heart that's within you. It starts with perspective. There's two short Bible verses I'm going to use today, and I've used them around here a lot, and they seem to stick. So now I use them every worship service. But I want to explain them a little bit today. One I use at the beginning of the service, and one at the end. But these verses have become a part of our fabric and our culture. They continue to change my life. So let's have a look at it. Here's the first one. You've already recited it today. It's from Psalm 118, verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's such a simple statement, but it has such a powerful effect on everything in your life. It changes your whole perspective on things. This is the day that God has made, which means very simply that this life is a gift that he's given you. God didn't owe you life at all, yet he gave it to you. None of you chose to be born, but God gave you that life. I think about having kids, you know, because we had one in, at an advanced age. But I really only planned two of them. The rest of them just showed up. It's kind of, and we're still trying to figure out how that happened. You know, but it's, it's amazing how it is. God doesn't owe any of us life. You may have been planned by your parents or maybe not. But God planned you. And you have this gift of life. 
so we can choose what this psalm says for us to do. You know, the psalm assumes our response. This is the day the Lord's right. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Some of the older translations word it, let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's an invitation to appreciate life, an invitation to rejoice. This day is what it is. You know, we, we're here, but it's a gift from God. So rejoice in it. I mean, we get to eat barbecue and maybe take a nap. We get to hang out and enjoy each other's company. We get to enjoy a fall day in Michigan. Why would we not rejoice and be glad in it? God has given us another day, and he didn't owe it to us, but he gave it to us. So we might as well enjoy it and be grateful for it. So we can choose to be grateful, or we can choose to feel sorry for ourselves. Now, which way is better? So I'm going to ask you to say this again, just like we do when we start the services. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then there's another verse from Colossians 3.17. And we use this one every Sunday. And after I'm done reading it, don't get up and leave because it's not part of you know, the benediction today. But it's very simple. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, this is Jesus' mission statement to us. When I was working on my doctorate, we had to come up with a mission statement for our personal ministry that we do. And I said, I don't need to do that. Paul already gave it to us. He told us clearly what it is that we're expected to do. And this is it. It's three phrases, and you look at it, you know, it says, and whatever you do or say. Well, that pretty much covers everything. What you do is, you know, how you work, how you play, how you rest. The Greek word for do is ergo, which is the word we get the word energy from. It's this energy, this life force that we have. How do you spend your energy or your life force? You know, are you gonna, how are you going to spend it today? Are you going to represent Jesus with it today? Are you go, how are you going to spend your energy tonight? And will you be grateful to God for this energy? Now remember, he's not required to give it to you, but he does. The fact that you can do anything at all is a gift from him. I've had the privilege of conducting a lot of funerals, over 500 of them in my lifetime. And I had another one this week. And I walked through that cemetery, Laketon Cemetery. It's almost like a class reunion for me. Because there's so many folks in there that I knew. And I think about them and I think, you know, these are a lot of believers. They're, they're good people. And I know they're with the Lord right now. But they don't get to eat barbecue. And they don't have the opportunities that we have in this lifetime. You know, every day that we're above ground is a gift. So how are we going to respond to it? The fact that you and I can do anything at all is still a gift from him.
then the word say in there, you know, comes from the Greek word logo, which means your speech. Your speech is also a gift from God. It can be a great source of blessing to those around you. Some people show up and you know whatever they're going to say is going to be encouraging to you. Your speech can do all kinds of good things, or it can drain the life out of those that you talk to. question is, how are you going to use it? And then you look at the next phrase. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. The older translations translate it as in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is accurate, but it's not really something that we connect with. You know, representative is something that we can connect with much better. To represent Jesus in all that you do. That's what we're called to do. Herein lies your mission statement. You want to follow Jesus? Be his representative. Ask yourself, how did Jesus treat underprivileged people? How did he treat poor people? How did he treat sick people? How did he treat mentally disturbed people? So my mission, your mission, is to be his representative, period. That's what we're called to do. Not to build a huge church, but to represent him to those he puts in our path. And then there's the last phrase. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. And I look at that on bad days and I say, what? You mean I'm supposed to be thankful for this? Do I have to be grateful? Can't I just be angry? It comes more naturally for me. Can't I be pessimistic? No, can't. It's like God says, yep, silly boy, give thanks to him for all he's done. if you want to be happy. Now, I want to be the person that lives by these two little verses. I don't want to be an angry pessimist. I want to be a grateful optimist. And it is in doing that you, that you know what Jesus ultimately wants to produce in your life. So today I'm going to ask you to join me in that. We are called simply to, um, to rejoice and to represent. Now, why wouldn't we do this? In a minute, we're going to have a meal together. And, you know, there's a long tradition of Christians doing that. When Christianity was very young, like in the first 20 years they did this, you know, they didn't, nobody had Sundays off, and probably three-fourths of the people who were Christians were slaves. So they had to work until the sunset. Then they got together for a meal. It's kind of a potluck thing every Sunday night. They didn't have Sundays off because, you know, there weren't labor unions, things like that. Everybody had to work on Sunday. So they did that. And uh, they got together. They had this meal. And then they expressed their gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. And at the close of the meal, whoever was leading it, it looked something like this. He took a piece of bread and he said, the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before he was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then, you know, at the end of the meal, they, that, that was before COVID, they all drank from the same cup. And it was, there's various things of what was in there, but the best uh, research that I could find on it is, is something like brandy. It was an enhanced wine product. And they would pass it all around. You know, the alcoholics wanted the first sip so they could guzzle it, but then the rest of them, you know, each took a sip. And they looked at it that way, but what would happen is the leader would take this cup and he would bless it. And he would say, this is the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. And that's where that tradition has been handed down to us for many years. So let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, in the sacrament that we are about to partake, we ask that you bless us, that you speak to us, and that you turn our hearts from any angry pessimism that's in there into a grateful optimism. And just as we take these elements into ourselves, so we invite you to come into our souls and occupy us so that we can truly be your representatives in everything. Amen.